Welcome all Whovians. My name is Brianna, and I'm going to take you through the vortex on this companion to classic Doctor Who. Today, my friends, we get to talk about the Sensorites, which I think is the most underrated serial of the first season. I think this one is overlooked, and that's unfortunate because it has a lot to offer. Very excited to talk about it today. The Sensorites was written by Peter R. Newman, directed by Mervyn Pinfield, who is also the associate producer during this time. It's also co-directed, or the later episodes are directed by Frank Cox. It was produced by Verity Lambert, and it ran from the 20th of Ju June 1964 through the 1st of August of 1964. The Sensorites opens with our TARDIS team aboard the TARDIS, and they realize that the TARDIS is moving, but they have landed. So they have a lot of theories as to what is going on. Either they've landed on top of something that's moving, or as Barbara suggests, inside something that is moving. I really like this opening scene and the exchange between them, because again, we can see how far they've come as a crew, that all of these different suggestions are being entertained before they decide they are in fact going to brave it and go outside. And yes, they are on a spaceship. This is our first spaceship episode. Woohoo! Spaceship episodes are kind of a thing in Doctor Who, if you've been around for a while. I don't think there's ever been a season where we don't have a spaceship episode, but we are going to be leaving the spaceship for a planet in a little bit. And it is a very different kind of spaceship episode. By that I mean, when they come out onto the spaceship, they discover two people who seem to be dead. <laughs> this is Carol and Nathan, who are members of a crew. They are two of three members. We're going to meet John in a little bit. The TARDIS team are kind of like, okay, there's nothing we can do for them. I think we should leave because we don't know what's going on here. When suddenly, Carol and Nate... Nathan revive. They are alive suddenly. This, of course, makes Team TARDIS very confused. And they're asking about what's going on and discover that this spaceship is stuck in space. And the crew has been here for a considerable amount of time and are being held against their will by a people they call the Sensorites. These sensorites have telepathic abilities and can apparently control their minds and their actions. We see this throughout this first and second episode with the crew very much under the sensorites' whims. And it's really effectively done. So how this serial sets itself up, how Newman writes the the serial is he sets up the sensorites initially as this really menacing threat in the background we know that they have all of these powers they seem really scary we're seeing the effects of that on the crew for instance in this episode shortly after the crew revives there's suddenly this direct attack where the spaceship seems to be heading directly towards the planet like it's gonna crash and we get to see the doctor doing some really nifty navigating for the first time, showing his technical know-how and preventing this. And in that period of time, Nathan can't react. He can't physically use the controls because the sensorites have kind of taken him over. Carol is fighting back a little bit, but is also feeling those effects. So A, the sensorites are kind of putting them through these really scary, horrific scenarios in which they think they're going to die and also controlling their minds. And we see the extent of how bad this mind control is when Barbara and Susan go to the back of the ship to get water and meet John, the third member of the crew. His mind has just been destroyed by the sensorites. He is not really aware of where he is or what's going on. He acts like a little scared child and he can hear all these voices in his head. He, he doesn't know what to do. John locks Barbara and Susan into the back part of the ship and the rest of the team, so Ian and the doctor, as well as Carol and Nathan, are trying to get back to them because they're very nervous that John might inadvertently try to hurt Barbara and Susan. 
these fears end up being ill-founded because Barbara manages to calm John down, to talk him down, and to use his instincts, his, his better self, to convince him to protect them from whatever threat's going to come. Barbara and Susan are in the back dealing with John, who is basically having a complete breakdown. Ian and the doctor are terrified for them, trying to break down the doors with the rest of the team, when the sensorites turn up in the most hilarious shot ever. We just see this little sensorite just outside the spaceship, just kind of hanging out. Throughout the entirety of the serial, it's never explained how they breathe in space or like how that's a thing, how they don't die, like their eyes don't pop because they just seem to be in space without a spacesuit. But we'll give it to them. We'll, we'll say that there's some kind of invisible suit or something protecting this little sensorite. Also, just to note, this is one of the rare times where um, in the serials, if you've been watching, you already know this, you have the end of the episode and then when the next episode starts, you get a repeat of that cliffhanger. And the shots are actually different in the end of episode one versus the beginning of episode two in that sensorite. I don't know if it's the same actor, but they're definitely in a different position, a different pose, and it's pretty obvious. So that is pretty funny. Anyway, sensorites are now at the ship and are determined to do something, but we don't know what it is. What we discover over the course of the second episode is that the sensorites are keeping this human crew in space neighboring like above their planet and keeping them alive and giving them food and trying to control their minds because this human crew came across this substance that is on the sensor fear sensor fear the sense of fear the sensor fear they they have a special name for it i'll look it up in a sec anyway so on their planet and this substance is extremely valuable it's called molybdenum which is a made-up word. It doesn't exist. But it's a really valuable metal that is useful in making spaceships. And John, the guy who's really lost his mind, has found out about this. The sensorites, in return, are, are essentially keeping the crew prisoner and have decided Team TARDIS also has to be prisoner because they do not want this news to leak out to the rest of the universe and their planet to be plundered. You, you kind of get where they're coming from, especially when it's revealed that a previous human crew had threatened to do exactly that, that they had discovered the substance and these people from Earth intended to come back with the full forces of the human armies in order to take this substance and essentially destroy the sensorite way of life. The sensorites know this because they're telepaths, so all your thoughts just kind of beam out to them. So that's a thing. Anyway, that's what's going on with the sensorites. Meanwhile, our team is trying to figure out how to navigate through this. And Susan in particular, this is a Susan serial, which we don't have very many of. She has discovered that when she focuses her thoughts on the sensorites, that she can break through into their telepathic wavelength, essentially. So she initially, with Barbara, sends this message, we defy you to the sensorites to break their hold on John, who felt like they were ordering him to do things to Susan and Barbara. Later, the sensorites are so impressed because of her telepathy that they communicate directly with her, asking if she would be willing to go down to the planet with them, which Susan agrees to without checking with the adults in her life. And this leads to the beginning of a really big character arc for Susan that is going to continue not just through this serial, but essentially through the rest of her time on the TARDIS, where Susan is now a young woman who is trying to exercise her independence. She, before this serial, essentially operates as a child. She is the granddaughter of the doctor, obviously, and basically Anne and Barbara's kid. She's very smart and intelligent and very capable, but she still functions as a kid. But this is the point at which Susan starts to push back against that. 
And we see that when she and the doctor have their first major argument that we've ever seen on the show in which she really believes that she knows what she's doing with the sensorites and the doctor completely dismisses this and just tells her, no, you, you can't do this. You can't make these decisions. You are, you are still a kid and it's my job to protect you. And Susan doesn't like that and is very, very hurt and upset about that. And while she eventually yields to the doctor in this instance, that is not going to be a pattern that continues. Susan is not comfortable with being talked down to anymore. She is not comfortable with being treated like a child. And we are going to see her continue to push against that throughout this and serials to come. Anyway, Susan is overridden by the team the doctor figures out that the sensorites, because of their their eyes, are probably afraid of the dark and can't see very well in the dark. They use this against the sensorites to scare them and essentially threaten them, tell them they're going to fight back if they're not allowed to, to go because the sensorites are preventing them from getting into the TARDIS at this point. And eventually they come to an agreement that Barbara and Nathan, one of the members of the crew, are going to stay on the spaceship as kind of hostages while the Doctor, Anne, Susan, Carol, and our dear John, who is, you know, again, mentally not well, are going to go down to the planet. The Sensorites are going to help John get better. They're going to get his mind back. And... In return, Team TARDIS is going to help them with this problem that they've been having in which their citizens have been dying from a mysterious illness. And the doctor has the technical know-how to potentially help with that. So anyway, they come to this agreement and it introduces a really big theme of this episode, which is the idea of trust and under what circumstances we can trust others how we trust people if we have been betrayed in the past and what we do when trust is betrayed. So this is going to come up throughout. In this instance, the negotiations succeed. Everyone goes down to the planet that is meant to go down to the planet. This does mean for the next few episodes, we do not have Barbara present You'll notice that throughout the season, there have been specific episodes in which a member of of the cast has been removed. This was for filming purposes because uh, obviously you want to give your actors breaks in a film schedule that's so intense as is Doctor Who. In this first season in particular, there are very obvious bits where we just basically remove a character. This is the one that feels the most artificial to me. That, yeah, okay, we're just going to leave Barbara on board in particular um, (laughs) in order to, you know, essentially give that actress a break. But it does make sense that someone would would have been left. I I think it's weird that they didn't require both Anne and Barbara to stay on board, actually. Though there is a reason for that. A pretty big one. (laughs) So, we get down to the sense of fear. And... We get to know the individual sensorites at this point. The episode switches from this threatening spaceship monster environment to now we're kind of in this political drama on this alien world. Again, this is something I really appreciate about Classic Who is that we really get to know these various societies and how they operate and get to see them from a lot of angles. And the sensorites are a good example of that. We are mostly here with the elders, which are the highest of the caste systems on the sensorphere, which we discover the sensorites have very, very stringent class structure in place. And people are basically born into a particular caste and they cannot leave. So that is going to be something we'll be addressing. Our primary characters for the Sensorites is the first elder, who is the leader of the Sensorites throughout this serial. Then we have the second elder, who is his prime advisor, and the city administrator, who is basically number three and in charge of this particular city, also an elder. 
Our first elder seems very reasonable. He wants to trust these humans, but is not fully on board yet. He, he does need some proof. He does know, however, that his people are dying of this illness, and he knows that the doctor might have know-how that can help. So he's being very practical here. The second elder is a little bit more suspicious, but seems mostly a reasonable person who is down for trying every avenue to save their people. Our city administrator, on the other hand, he's our villain for the episode, the true villain. <laughs> and oh, he's a doozy of a villain. So our city administrator does not trust the humans at all, is convinced that all of them have this crazy plot to destroy the sensorites. And even if they don't, he doesn't care. They should be just killed on sight. So he advises that they just eliminate them as soon as they come down. When he's ignored, he bypasses all of the the, the two elders in order to get this um, machine that will essentially disintegrate <laughs> anyone that you 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 can like put in the coordinates for it um, where they are and it will disintegrate them. And he bullies the operator of the machine into setting it for the seats that Ian, the doctor and Susan are going to occupy. So this is our tension <laughs> throughout a good chunk of this episode. We have the sensorites greet our humans. John is taken in by the medical squad to help with him and Carol is staying with him. We, Carol and John were engaged before John lost his mind. So she is very obviously concerned about his recovery. Meanwhile, the doctor, Ian, and Susan are taken to meet with the first elder. Fortunately, before they sit down, the second elder figures out what the city administrator is doing and prevents him from doing it. So they get to have their conference with the first elder. At this meeting, we discover a great deal about the sensorites and about why they don't trust humans. Again, a lot of that backstory with the previous human expedition that came in. And everyone drinks water. Now, the water that the doctor, Susan, and the first elder drinks is this refined special water that is only for the elders. It is the best water. And it's they the only water they will drink. But Ian is really thirsty, so he initially takes a sip from water that comes from the city aqueduct, which is where everyone else on the planet gets their water. And yeah, he gets this mysterious illness. I wonder what's going on with the mysterious illness, right? Yeah, it's in the water. It's, it's obviously in the water. I, I don't think this is really supposed to be a mystery. And in fact, they do figure this out pretty quickly. Watching Ian in pain in this serial is actually really rough. <laughs> like he acts being sick pretty well here. And again, Ian always gets himself into trouble. He's always our little damsel in distress, but, but this one is particularly affecting and you are really worried about him. So the doctor is initially tries to get the sensorites to let him go to the TARDIS where he can easily get an antidote. But of course, the city administrator convinces the first elder not to allow this because he we don't know like what he has in the TARDIS. He might have powers we don't know about. And instead, the first elder basically tells the doctor that he has to prove that there that the water supply is poisoned. So he goes and works with the scientists to do that. Meanwhile, Susan is trying to help Ian and John is slowly gaining his mind. So one of the things they do with John that's really interesting throughout the serial is why he lost his mind was because he was so open to the telepathy that it overwhelmed him. And he is now stuck in this mode of intense emotion, intense fear, and he's not able to turn it off. But this also makes him extremely perceptive of the people around him. So every time the city administrator comes in, he says, that's an evil man. There's plotting going on versus like when he meets with the first elder, he declares him a good man. So it's kind of interesting how they use him throughout the serial to indicate the pure emotional reactions. Um, 
And of course, eventually his information tips Team Tardis off that there's something going on with the Sensorites. So eventually the doctor does prove that the water is being poisoned and comes up with a cure, sends it over to Ian, and he convinces the Sensorites to take him down to the aqueduct because he's very suspicious about how the poisoning is working it seems to be appearing in different parts of the aqueduct at different times and he suspects as we discover correctly that someone is deliberately poisoning the water so he goes to try to figure that out the sensorites do not want to go down to the aqueduct because it is dark and we've established that they don't like the darkness and they believe there are monsters that live in the tunnels there which is very suspicious as well So the doctor is kind of out of the way here. Ian has been sent the cure, but unfortunately, the second elder is kidnapped. And now the city administrator has switched his sash around and is playing as the second elder for um, the majority of the serial going forward. And he uh, uses his new power to divert the, the cure Susan eventually discovers, not that it's been diverted, I mean, she doesn't know what's going on yet, but that, you know, she gets the cure to Anne, so Anne is okay now, and, which is good, and (laughs) meanwhile, um, the first elder gets the antidote out to the people, so, so this plot is disrupted indirectly. But now the, first, the second elder is kidnapped and the city administrator is running amok trying to, you know, gain power. And it becomes increasingly clear that this is what this particular person wants is the city administrator wants to be the first elder. He wants power and he is pretty ruthless in his attempt to get that power. So the doctor is not returned from the aqueducts. This leads Ian, who is not in a very good state. He's still like leaning on Susan for support, but he insists that he's going to the aqueducts to save the doctor. He and Susan do that and get there right in time because the doctor has been attacked. He seems mostly okay, but definitely was attacked in the darkness. There is something living under the city in these tunnels. So our team has put together at this point that somebody is working against them within the sensor sphere and it has to be someone pretty high up. It has to be someone with power who, you know, diverted the antidote and seems to be speaking against them. They also know that there's something under the city that is trying to cause problem that's probably trying to poison the members of the sensorite race for whatever reason. They're not sure whether this is the same person or different people, but they know that there are enemies around, so to speak. The doctor knows that the city water supply is being poisoned because he finds these very poisonous herbs, belladonna nightshade, in the tunnels, and he knows that they are being deliberately added to the water supply. So on their way to meeting the first elder to relay these suspicions, they find the second elder, who is actually the city planner, and he runs away from them very quickly. So when they meet the first elder, as they're trying to explain what's going on, they are interrupted by the city administrator, who is now claiming the second elder is dead, which he is, and that the doctor killed him. Fortunately, this is quickly proven to be false. And instead, the man who brought forth the accusation, who is working with the city administrator, is arrested. And unfortunately, because of the actions of the second elder, who again was in fact the city administrator who's been posing as the second elder, the first elder now believes that the second elder betrayed them and is really, really struggling with this. He notes that our society is based on trust and everyone is contented with our way of life, essentially. And I, I don't know how I can deal with this sort of betrayal. So unfortunately, in this whole murder accusation, discovering the second elder dead, discovering that he, quote unquote, betrayed everybody, 
Team TARDIS decides that they are going to nominate the city planner to be the new second elder because they think that he will be on their side and help them going forward. This is, of course, a terrible move, though they don't know it. So now the new second elder, the previous city administrator, our villain for the episode, has oh so much more power. Okay, so Ian and the Doctor now... They are convinced that something is going on underneath the city. So they want to go and investigate what's going on in the aqueducts. They get permission to do this and weapons and a map from the first elder. Unfortunately, the new second elder has made those weapons useless, intentionally removing their firing mechanism and has gone through and screwed up the map. So he is sending dear Ian and the doctor into a trap that they're not aware of. There's some interesting things going on here. A, the doctor flat out says, I never liked weapons of any kind, but these look like they will be useful. Which, for those of you, again, who are fans of Doctor Who, the doctor is pretty anti-weapon consistently throughout his run but that ethos is not fully established yet in this serial he is willing to use the equivalent of a gun in self-defense or to protect himself and you can definitely see later doctors not being okay with that on any level Second thing to point out is that the doctor specifically requests that the first elder does not tell Susan that they are going into the aqueducts because he is afraid that she will want to go with them. And yeah, given how much Susan has been pushing back lately, and especially in this serial, this is a pretty underhanded plan. It is again treating Susan like a child who can't make her own decisions. And yeah, the serial is actually going to push back against this mindset of the doctors of excluding Susan pretty quickly. So the doctor and Anne are now in the tunnels and Barbara's back. Woohoo! Um, you really miss Barbara. She's gone for a while. Barbara immediately is totally awesome and kind of figures out what's going on. She's just very no nonsense says, okay, we need to prove that this second elder is, you know, the bad guy because they figured out that, that he is the bad guy because John, John knows that he's the bad guy. (laughs) And they're off on trying to figure that out until they discover that Ian and the doctor are in fact in the tunnels and have not come out. And, you know, they're really worried. So they create this really cool plan where Susan and Carol are basically going to stay above with the map and they are going to direct Barbara and John through the tunnels via telepathy because Susan has kind of become this like master telepath in this time and over the course of the serial. The doctor and Anne are like, oh, we need to protect little Susan. And Susan actually has to end up saving their little butts, which which is what happens. She ends up directing Barbara and John through the tunnels. But surprise, surprise, the doctor and Anne have kind of run into a bit of a snag, which is, you know, that previous crew of humans that we kept talking about, the ones who wanted to plunder the planet's resources and like just kind of went away and we didn't really get too much information about. Well, the official story was their spaceship exploded, hence killing them, hence the sensorites weren't really worried about them. But that explosion didn't kill all the humans. So there are three really crazy humans running around (laughs) underneath the Sensorite city who believe they're at war with the Sensorites, have totally lost their minds because of the telepathic stuff that's going on. And yeah, they think that they have this vast army, that they're conducting this crazy war. Again, there's only three of them, and they have been poisoning the water supply. And now they've captured Anne and the Doctor, who try to pretend that they are the reinforcements from Earth and that the war is over. This works until Barbara and John turn up. 
And now the humans are a bit suspicious until they convince them that they, you know, are part of a welcoming party, manage to convince the humans to come out with them, alert the sensorites to what's going on via Susan, because again, she's in telepathic contact with Barbara and the sensorites are able to apprehend these humans. Meanwhile, Carol gets kidnapped by the city administrator turned second elder who is holding her against her will and making her write notes to John and Susan. And it it doesn't really, this plan does not make sense. I don't really understand what the, the, the plan is at this point, but they discover that Carol has been kidnapped, managed to eventually approve this because they, you know, rescue Carol and in so doing prove that the second elder was guilty. It's a very anticlimactic ending. We don't actually get like a big final confrontation with the villain of this episode in terms of what he's been up to or how he is implicated in all this treachery. We are just told that he 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 has been proved beyond a shadow of a doubt to be guilty and has been banished. At this point, the Sensorites are very kind and are going to allow the TARDIS crew to return to their spaceship um, and for Carol, John, and Nathan to go as well. And actually, the big moment of this episode, the moral lesson moment, is not given to the Doctor as it usually is, but is actually given to Susan. Susan and the first elder have a conversation in which Susan argues that trust can't be taken for granted. It must be earned. Hence, the big message, at least in Susan's eyes, is that the Sensorites, yes, they've built a society on trust, but there is a point at which if you want to build a society on trust, you have to earn that trust. And that trust can be lost if it is not earned. So that is an interesting thing. And I like the fact that it's handed to Susan in an episode in which she is trying to assert herself and is kind of the one that saves everybody. During this conversation with the first elder, we also get what is the first real mention of Gallifrey as a place in all of Doctor Who. The description that Susan gives of her home planet is almost identical to the description that the 10th Doctor gives to Martha during Gridlock. And yes, the description of Gallifrey's burnt orange skies and silver trees, this is the first instance of that and it's coming from Susan. We also get a lovely moment of Susan discussing the fact that While she loves to be a wanderer, she would like to have a place to call home, whether it's her own or somewhere else that she she is feeling the need for a home. And again, this is going to play into her story going forward. Susan is still a wanderer, still enjoys exploring and doing, but... There is a part of her that is perhaps a little bit more ready to settle than the doctor is ever going to be. We also discover that Susan has lost a lot of her telepathic ability. She's still a telepath, but the channels on the sense of fear are so great that she could sort of key into all these different people. She's not going to be able to do that once she leaves the planet, but her telepathic abilities will persist and she can continue to develop that, which is something the doctor's interested in doing. So that is the Sensorites. Okay, let's talk. For those of you coming at Classic Who from New Who, this serial reminds me a really great deal of Peter Capulti's double feature on Zygons in his second season, which is one of my favorite episodes ever of of Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. I really, really love that that double episode quite a bit. And I like a lot of what it's doing. Um, it's another 
um, dual parter that I think is a little underrated. But in that Saigon episode, we have a lot of themes that carry over into this episode, or I should say vice versa, because this one came first. We have a lot of questions about the nature of trust. A lot of questions around silencing people who do not have very much power or dismissing people because we do not trust them or we do not perceive them as worthy of having a voice. And of course, the messiness of sorting through a conflict between two groups of people in which there is some blame on both sides and there are some people who have behaved very, very badly. But there are also people who genuinely are just trying to do the best they can to do what's right for them and to protect themselves and others. So there's just this really messy reality to both this serial and to that later dual parter on New Who. I think one of the things that this particular serial explores very well is the way in which certain people and voices can be silenced. I think we see this particularly with John throughout the serial, as well as Susan. In John's case, this is pretty direct. For instance, the second elder at one point, our city administrator, second elder, the, the villain of the episode, directly tells John that he's a villain, that he plans all these awful things, but also tells him, your voice is not believed. You will be dismissed. No one is going to listen to you because you are perceived as crazy. You are perceived as someone who cannot actually distinguish the truth from fiction and therefore you will be dismissed. And I think that this is a really great commentary on mental illness and the ways in which people can be pushed aside if they are speaking to their truth and they are not perceived as fully functional mentally, which is John's um, situation here. Because John is correct. And one of the things I really like about the serial is that the doctor directly validates that. When John tries to say what's going on, the doctor points out that he probably does know this truth and he's trying to get it out. And it seems important and valid and that we should listen to that. And it's such a contrast from how the second elder slash city administrator, the villain, treats John, that the doctor acknowledges that John may have something to say that matters. And even if he can't express it, or even if he he can't fully distinguish truth from reality right now, he's not fully there. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have some truth and that, that we shouldn't listen to him. The other character, of course, that we see this is Susan, because Susan is continuously dismissed throughout the serial. And what's interesting is every time she is, she is correct in her surmises almost across the board. So Susan figures out how the sensorites work before anyone else on Team TARDIS. She's aware that they are scared. She understands that they can't deal with loud noises, that when you raise your voice to them, they perceive that as a threat because their ears are really sensitive. So when the doctor instinctively like is raising his voice in anger, that's almost like an attack to a sensorite. And she's trying to explain that to the doctor and to Anne, and they're not taking her seriously. They don't take her very seriously when she tries to explain the affinity that she has with the sensorites. She's just continuously sort of put down or put to the side, even though... She, by far, is the one who understands the sensorites best in this episode, and most of what she is saying ends up being correct. So she, of course, does not have a mental illness, but because she is a young woman, because she is a child or perceived as a child by those around her, her voice is seen as less important and something that can be dismissed or put to the side. And to a degree, this also hits indirectly on the caste system. 
that the censorites operate under. Because the reason our city administrator is able to manipulate the situation so successfully is because the people of the censor sphere are taught to trust their elders without question, but they themselves do not seem to have a voice. In fact, we do not really see anyone of the lower castes in this serial. They are so insignificant that they are not allowed to have individualized markings, so they just wear these very um, subdued clothes that don't distinguish them. They don't have any say in the power structure. They are just kind of operating within the system. And because this power structure is so much in place, these ideas that these elders are unquestionable and you have to obey them and they always know what's going on, it allows our city administrator to manipulate the situation in such a way that he can essentially just assume a role of power based on nothing more than a sash. He takes the second elder sash and suddenly everyone will listen to him and do exactly what he says without question. And no one stops to think through those orders. No one questions whether or not the second elder would do something like this. It is just so ingrained to them that this is the power structure. This is how things are. This is whose voice matters that it doesn't even occur to anyone to question this situation. And that seems like a really dangerous social structure to exist in. It's great if everyone is going to follow through and be trustful and no one's going to take advantage of the situation, but it is extremely easy for somebody to manipulate that power structure and that trust in order to get what they want, which is exactly what the second elder does. And I think that these two things are interconnected in the sense that throughout the serial, the people who you would expect to be deprived of their voice and pushed away are the ones who end up doing most of the heavy lifting in the serial. So it is John that figures out what's going on and eventually communicates that and gets that across to the team. It is Susan who can use her telepathy to help others, but also even within the normal command structure. So say on the original ship, when we first meet Nathan and Carol, we are put in a situation where Nathan is in charge, like he is the quote unquote captain figure. But it is Carol who is much better at resisting the sensorites. Her mind is stronger and she is the one who is best at resisting. Even though in the power structure, she is lower than both John and Nathan. And the fact that she's a woman, I think, also plays into that. In fact, power structures throughout the serial seem very suspicious. So the humans living under the city have completely diverted back into this very stringent idea of authority, wherein the one guy is the captain, he is the leader, and everyone is following his instructions without question, and they are in this weird military mindset, which is completely insane, because there, a war doesn't exist, but it also draws attention to the artificiality of those constructs itself. Just as the fact that the city administrator can suddenly become the second elder just by putting on a sash leads us to question the artificiality of those power structures within the sensorite community. And all this reflects back on Team Tardis, because again... In terms of what's going on with our team, this is an episode that is very much about Susan and Susan growing up. Susan, who has consistently been the character who has the least power on the team. She is the one who has to follow instructions. She is the one who has to be protected. 
This isn't to say that she hasn't done cool things in the past or that she's incapable, but within the power structure of the TARDIS community, the TARDIS family, she is the person who has comparatively the least power. And she is no longer okay with that and is beginning to push back in this serial. And I think that the serial supports that pushback by presenting all of these other systems in which power structures are harmful or inaccurately reflect who actually is capable and who is not, which is consistent across every power structure we encounter in this serial. Consistently across the serial, all of our problems are the result of someone seeking power over others. So the original human crew, they initially want to steal the resources of the Sensorites home planet for their own enrichment. And that is what leads them to eventually perceive themselves as in this crazy war against the sensorites and start to poison their water supply, hence killing millions of sensorites because they get so caught up in this fantasy of power that they can no longer distinguish fantasy from reality. Likewise, John, the guy who lost his mind, he initially also got caught up in this fantasy when he discovered this mineral he also thought oh i could i could get power and money and this could be brilliant now we don't know with him if he actually intended to do those things or if they were just thoughts that crossed his mind from the sensorites perspective it wouldn't have mattered they they picked up on the thoughts and they immediately reacted <laughs> to those thoughts but the problem of the crew is one rooted in whether they would give in to greed or not. That's why the sensorites trap them because they are afraid that instinctively humans are going to take that position of trying to take over power. Of course, the sensorites fail to see that they themselves are capable of competing for resources and power as the city administrator proves. Throughout the serial, he wants to be in charge. He wants power. He wants all of the prestige that comes with being the first elder, which is eventually, I think, where he wants to end up. And he's ruthless about pursuing this. But because the sensorites fail to even consider the possibility that one of their own would compete for power, and would be willing to essentially leave the station to which they were born, that they would be willing to try to get more than what they were originally given or what they have or what they merited, that that's just foreign to them. They're like, no, our caste system works great. Everyone's happy and content. Why would anyone want more than that? And of course, that that is an illusion. They too are capable of greed. They too are capable of this struggle for more and more power. Hence, every group that we encounter in the serial has the capacity to want power over others and to do some really terrible things in an effort to gain that power. I love the complexity of this one. I think that's why it stands out so much to me. It's a messy story in a lot of ways because nobody is fully in the right here. You can't say, oh, the sensorites are blameless. Well, they've done nothing wrong. They didn't start any of this. Well, yeah, okay, maybe they didn't start it, but they were also willing to hold three people prisoner forever on a spaceship. <laughs> That, which is not okay. They were willing to entrap the TARDIS team that had nothing to do with any of these original things forever on a spaceship. <laughs> and those, yes, those were maybe acts of self-defense, but they are still morally not great. And yes, maybe they have some right to be a little lacking in trust towards humans, but they take that to a pretty big extreme 
not just the city planner either, but, or sorry, the city administrator, but also even the first elder eventually in refusing, say, for the doctor to return to the TARDIS when Ian gets sick, he is putting Ian's life at risk. And he does that knowingly, which, you know, is not great. But the original humans, you know, yeah, they're greedy and terrible, but they are also pretty over the bend by the time we meet them. They are clearly insane. And they've been driven to that because of the telepathic fields in this planet's environment, which is not something that they did intentionally. So did they poison these people because, because they wanted to and because they were monsters? Or because they genuinely didn't understand their actions. They thought they were at war. That's kind of complicated. And they are victims in some ways because they have been put through this horrific process of losing their minds because of all of these voices. Similar position with John. Yeah, John had some pretty negative thoughts there, wanted to plunder the planet's resources, but also pays the price for that and ends up turning around and being a really decent guy who's willing to do what's right. Which again, would suggest that those initial thoughts might have been just that, initial thoughts, rather than an intent to actually carry through with them. But the censorites didn't interpret it that way. All of this gives us a really messy and mixed up picture of this interaction between two species, three if you count our Gallifreyans, these centurites and these humans, in which no one is good and no one is bad. It's all these people who don't fully trust each other, who all want different things, and just really get into this tangled web from which they very much can't break through because they cannot extend trust to each other. And I think that this is just a really brilliant depiction of what conflict is like in the real world. It's not simple. How these great wars or these great terrible things happen where people groups fall out and get into this armed conflict or that things escalate into into horrors sometimes the start is just a bunch of misunderstandings and we see that illustrated here bunch of misunderstandings and some probably genuinely bad people (laughs) thrown into the mix who are after power but not all the humans are bad and not all the censorites are bad and not all of them are good It's just a bunch of people trying to navigate a situation wherein no one fully understands the others and are genuinely acting from a place of fear and ignorance. And I think that this serial does that extremely well and in a way that we don't often see a show depict on this level. It's, it's really refreshing to see how complex this situation is. Ultimately, then, we come back to this question of trust. And I think this serial has a complicated answer to how we trust people and whether or not we should trust others. Because on the one hand, it is a lack of trust that leads to a lot of the troubles in this serial. If the Sensorites trusted Team TARDIS or gave them the benefit of the doubt sooner, a lot of this suffering could have been avoided. The doctor could have helped them quicker. The antidote could have been found quicker. Less people would have died. And the same could be said of the humans and the censorites. The original crew's distrust of the censorites and their telepathy, as well as the new crew's distrust of the censorites, lead to them acting as if the censorites are their enemies rather than trying to find a way to work together or to figure out what's going on with people who they would consider to be equals. We also have, again, the problem of not trusting people because they have comparatively less power. 
so how both John and Susan are treated in this episode. When we dismiss people, when we refuse to trust them because we perceive them as lesser than us, we lose important voices in the conversation. At the same time, though, trusting without having earned that trust can be dangerous. After all, the city administrator essentially manages to take out his superior and to assume his position over the course of this serial, all because people trust him, because people trust the symbols of his office, because people trust the system in which he exists without question. So perhaps Susan is right in the end. We need trust in order for a society to function, in order to actually come to peaceful solutions. But at the same time, we do need to earn that trust. And trusting blindly in a person or an institution or a power structure can lead to a lot of misery. With that, I actually would say this is one of the very rare serials that I think could have stood to be maybe an episode longer. I say that because the conclusion of the serial does feel like the weakest point for me. I don't think we get that cathartic, full-on confrontation between the censorites and the um, second elder. But I also think that while I like the inclusion of the original humans in the caves under the city, and I do think that that adds a lot of complexity to this story and provides a messiness that I think is intentional, I do think not very much is done with them. And it would have been much more interesting if the reveal of these humans led to further suspicions on the part of the censorites towards the humans already essentially in their custody. Basically, I'm saying if you discover that these humans had just gone completely nuts and were, you know, poisoning your water supply and had killed a very large portion of your population... That would be a really good excuse for someone like the city administrator, for instance, to raise up a rebellion and try to become the first elder to take out the humans that the current first elder is being kind to. (laughs) I'm just saying, I think there are some missed opportunities in terms of exploring the effects of discovering these humans under the city. And if that had come out sooner, or if we just had another episode or two to deal with that, I do think you could have done some interesting things there and had a more satisfying conclusion with the second elder. But that's really my only major complaint about this serial is that I think the ending is a little rushed and... I guess I'm saying I wanted more, and that's a, that's a compliment right there. <laughs> because, yeah, a lot of these longer serials, I would say the opposite, that they feel a little bloated. This one, it's very much not the case. I think that it is a complex enough story that it actually could have stood having one more episode. Final thoughts, then? I think The Censorites really holds up. It is a complex story about trust and power and the ways in which both can be misused. It creates a picture in which a lot of people are trying to do the right thing and a lot of people are trying to do the wrong thing. (laughs) And we need to somehow sort through that and not judge an entire group by the actions of a few for ill or for bad. But perhaps most importantly, it sets up Susan and her journey going forward as she begins to step into her own, stops being okay with being silenced and being pushed aside and begins to push to be considered as a woman rather than a girl. And that is going to be important going forward in terms of where this team is heading. 
So we'll sign off on the Sensorites for now. And I'm going to be looking at our next serial for next time, which is The Reign of Terror. So, The Reign of Terror was for a long time a partially missing serial. There are episodes that are intact and episodes that have gone missing. However, BBC has animated this one, the missing episodes, so you can watch it in full even though some of the episodes are, in fact, animated. It is not, however, unfortunately, on Amazon Prime. For those of you watching through BritBox, you can find it online. It's available in its entirety on YouTube, at least right now. And it can be found as a serial, either for purchase, or, of course, you can probably rent this one from your local library. Very excited to talk about this one. It's a lot of fun. It's another historical, which are my favorites of the first Doctor. So very much looking forward to chatting about it. Thank you all so very much for listening. Until next time, this has been Through the Vortex, a companion to classic Doctor Who.